Jonah 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I'm sure most people have probably had this experience where you've seen the ads or the previews for a movie and you decide that you're going to go and see it. But the movie turns out to be absolutely nothing like the trailers that you saw. Uh, We had this experience just a few weeks ago. We went and saw Rocketman, the Elton John story. I'm not sure if you have seen the movie or are aware of what it's about. It's the life story of Elton John. And I'd thought it was going to be a movie about how wonderful and what a kind man he is and how he'd had such a wonderful, stable life when he was growing up. But it was completely different to what I was expecting. This is one messed up character and he was the producer of the movie and publicly came out and showed how messed up his life has been. Uh, It was quite strange to go into the movie expecting one thing but watch the screen and see something completely different. 
Now, I think that that can happen with books of the Bible and definitely happens with the book of Jonah. Jonah fits into the section of the Old Testament that we call the prophets. He's one of what we call the minor prophets. There are 12 minor prophets together. Can I get you to open up? You've got your Bible in front of you. Open up to the index of the Bible, right at the very front. You'll see the books of the prophets there. Uh, They start with Isaiah and end with Malachi, the only Italian prophet in the Bible. But the last 12 books of the Old Testament are what we call the minor prophets, from Hosea through to Malachi, the minor prophets. And you'll see that Jonah fits right into the middle there. Well, he does in our English Bibles. He doesn't actually fit into the prophet section when the Hebrew Bible was arranged. It got put into a different place because it's not really one of the prophets. Well, he's one of the prophets, but this is not a book of prophecy. In fact, there are a grand total of eight words of prophecy in the entire book of Jonah. Uh, A little later on, Jonah's going to say to the people of Nineveh, 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. That's the only prophecy that we actually have in the book. See, the surprise that you get with the book of Jonah is that it's not a book of prophecy. It's a book about a prophet. We learn from the person Jonah himself not from the message that he preaches to the people of Nineveh. Now, it's good to get the setting for this book and try and understand where it fits into the Old Testament story. By Jonah's day, the nation of Israel had split into two parts. Uh, Israel had become the name for the northern part of the kingdom and Judah was the name given to the southern part of the kingdom. And Jonah was a prophet from Israel, from the northern part of the kingdom. So what were things like in Israel by the time of Jonah? Well, the situation for Israel at the time of Jonah was pretty bleak. Uh, Israel was in a very bad way. Now, on the surface, things probably didn't look that bad. They were politically stable. They weren't involved in any serious wars with any of the surrounding nations. Those things would have made Israel look reasonably good. But that's on the surface, Spiritually, Israel were in serious trouble. They'd had a succession of kings who'd led them further and further away from God. And by the time of Jonah, they have one of their worst kings ruling over them. The man who's going to make life incredibly difficult for the people of Israel. In fact, worse than that, Israel had actually become quite proud and arrogant about their situation. God had been warning them that they needed to turn back to him. He'd been telling them that they needed to start taking their relationship with him seriously. And the people of Israel have just refused to listen. In less than one generation from the time of Jonah, Israel will disappear. That northern part of the kingdom will be wiped out, never to rise again. And it will be the Assyrians where Nineveh is situated, who come in and do that work. So it's no coincidence that the Assyrians will be the empire that will come in and take possession of that northern part of the kingdom. The city of Nineveh uh, was one of the main cities in the empire of the Assyrians. They had a population of around 120,000 people, they believe, at this time. Uh, Just to put that into perspective, that's about the same size as Darwin or Toowoomba, but um, Nineveh would have been far more advanced and civilised than either of those two places. 
And Jonah has been called to go and preach to the Assyrians, to the people of the city of Nineveh. Now, Assyria was the world power at that time. It was the superpower of the Middle East, probably one of the superpowers of the world at the time. And they had a reputation for being incredibly brutal in the way that they dealt with their enemies. These guys made ISIS look like they were amateurs and weren't even really trying. They treated their enemies with extraordinary cruelty, uh, details of which you can find easily on the internet, but I, I do not want to mention them here. As you can imagine, the relationship between Israel and Assyria was not a close one. Uh, the Israelites feared the Assyrians. And Jonah is told to go and preach to the Assyrians, to go right to the middle of the Assyrian Empire, to the largest city in the Assyrian Empire, and tell them that God is not happy with the way that they are living. So back to the book of Jonah. You've got it there in front of you. It starts in a, in a rather abrupt way. It says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come before me. There's no introduction to the book. We just read that God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach against them because God's had enough of their wickedness. And Jonah's response to God's call is swift. He just runs off in exactly the opposite direction. You see it there in verse number three, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, that's not what you're expecting from one of the books of prophecy in the middle of the section of prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, this map gives you a bit of an idea about where he's attempting to go. He's been called to go to the city of Nineveh, probably 750, 800 kilometres away from where he was. But instead, he embarks on a journey of about 3,500 kilometres to go to what, for Jonah, would have been the end of the world at that point in time. The furthest possible place that he could think of to get away from God, to get away from what God wanted him to do. Now, at this point in the story... We don't know exactly why Jonah wants to go to Nineveh, doesn't want to go to Nineveh, but we can speculate. Could have been the reputation that the Assyrians had. Maybe he was scared and feared for his own life. That'd be a reasonable thing to think. I think I'd be scared if I'd been told that I had to go to a city like that and tell them that God is not pleased with them. Maybe it was the enormity of the task, killing 120,000 people that God is not happy with him. That's a pretty huge job that he's got. And we have to wait until chapter 4 to find out exactly why it was that he ran. But Jonah heads to the coast, gets his ticket, jumps aboard the ship and heads for Spain. Jonah might be thinking that he is now finished with God, but God certainly isn't finished with Jonah. When Jonah boarded the ship, my guess is that as it set sail, he was probably feeling somewhat relieved that he'd managed to dodge that bullet. He's not going to have to go to Nineveh. But that confidence is just about to be shattered. Verse number four. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. God sends a great storm. 
Seasoned sailors were terrified by this storm. And did you notice that it doesn't say a great storm arose? No, this is God consciously doing this to Jonah. This is not some coincidence. This isn't some storm that just happened to stir up. Jonah is not going to get away from God as easily as he thought he might. The sailors start calling on their gods to save them. And where's Jonah while all of this is happening? Well, he's ducked down below deck. He's going to have a little nap down there. I mean, it seems unbelievable, doesn't it? All the sailors are terrified and crying out to their own gods. And here he is down under the bottom of the boat, in the bottom of the boat, having a little snooze. And the captain goes down and wakes him up and suggests that maybe the prophet of God might like to pray to his God as well. That he'd already told them that he was a prophet and that he was running away from God. And they ask him the kind of other obvious questions there in verse number eight. Tell us who's responsible for making this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? And look at what he says, verse number nine. He said, I am a Hebrew and I worship Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. I bet that was the bit that got their attention. The God who made the sea. That's the one that I'm running away from. That's why we have this big storm happening here out at sea. This is why we're all in serious danger out here in the sea because the God who I worship is the one who made that sea. So they asked Jonah what to do to make the storm calm down and Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, verse 12, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, don't start feeling sorry for Jonah here at this point. I don't think this is some noble act on Jonah's part where he's saying, look, I will sacrifice my life to save yours. That's not what's going on here at all. I think this is Jonah saying, I would rather die than go and preach to the Ninevites. The sailors refuse to throw him into the sea just at this point in time. They don't want to be responsible for taking this man's life. It's incredible that a bunch of pagan sailors show themselves to be more honourable than the prophet of God. Well, Jonah thought nothing of endangering their lives, yet they're doing everything they can, risking their own lives in order to save him. They try hard to row to shore, but they're getting nowhere. The storm becomes even more fierce and it reaches the point where there is no alternative. And after praying and asking Jonah's God to forgive them for what they're just about to do, they pick Jonah up and throw him into the sea. He hits the water and he's swallowed by a huge fish. Storm dies down and the sailors know that it's Yahweh who rules this world and they begin to worship him. There's this amazing series of contrasts that happen all the way through this chapter pagan ship captain waking up the prophet of God and suggesting he might like to think about praying. Now, the sailors who want to risk their lives to save Jonah when Jonah thinks nothing of endangering their lives. The sailors who pledge themselves to Yahweh because of this storm, but the prophet of God who just wants to run away from Yahweh. And the chapter ends with Jonah inside the big fish. It's funny, that becomes one of the real stumbling points for people in this story. Could that really happen? Could someone live inside a fish for three days? I think I want to say, I don't know, and I don't care. 
Because that doesn't change the point of the story. If it's a true story that he actually was inside the fish, I'm perfectly comfortable with that. If it's a parable that's been made up to explain something important about God's people, I'm perfectly comfortable with that as well. Don't make that the sticking point for the story. Make sure you hear the rest of the message before you think about that. A lot of people look at Jonah and they think that the message of the book kind of comes down to one of two things. When God tells you to do something, you need to do it. Or the value of foreign mission programs, that they're the kind of two places where people want to settle. I think it's actually got a very different message to that, as we'll see over the next few weeks. Those two things could possibly be in there, but I think the message of Jonah goes far deeper than that. We speculated about why Jonah may not have wanted to go to Nineveh. But the other question that you have to ask at this point in the story is, why did God send him to Nineveh in the first place? Is it just because their wickedness has come up before God? Surely there's got to be plenty of countries around the world where their wickedness has come up before God. Why send a prophet to preach to another country when it's actually Israel who need to hear what God's got to say? All the prophets of the Old Testament either preach to the people of Israel or the people of Judah. They'll often have a message about the other countries around them, but the prophets were sent to Israel and to Judah at at the worst time in those two kingdoms. All the prophets of the Old Testament were were there to call people back to God, to call God's people back to their relationship with him. Jonah's the only prophet whose work takes him outside of Israel to go and preach to another nation. So why send him to the Assyrians? Let me suggest three reasons. The first one is this. I think God sends him to make Israel jealous. I think Jonah goes to Nineveh to try and shake Israel out of their spiritual apathy. As I said before, by the time of Jonah, the people of Israel had become proud and arrogant about their relationship with God. They treated God like he was some kind of lucky charm that they could wave around every time they needed him, but just pop back into their pocket when things were going well. They were taking God for granted, and they were taking it for granted that God was their God. God sent prophets to Israel with a wake-up call but the people refused to listen. He'd sent Elijah and Elisha and Amos and Hosea, all of them to Israel, to the northern kingdom, to try and shake them out of that spiritual apathy. And God's shown incredible patience towards that northern kingdom. But now it seems that he's trying a different approach. Rather than a prophet to Israel, he's sending a prophet to Nineveh. Maybe the people will see when the Assyrians respond Maybe they'll see just how stupid they have been in the way that they've treated God. And I think there's another reason that God may have sent Jonah to Nineveh. God's plan has always been to bring blessing to the whole world, not just to the people of Israel and Judah, not just to his chosen people. God's plan right from the very beginning was that blessing would be for the entire world. This is what God says when he makes his promises to Abraham way back in the book of Genesis, I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse 
and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All the people on earth will be blessed through Abraham's descendants. God's plan was to start with Abraham and his descendants, but the plan was for blessing to the entire world. Sadly, Israel were not too keen on that idea, especially the idea of other nations being included. They thought God exclusively belonged to them and they weren't willing to share. But God shows by sending this prophet to the people of Nineveh that his plan is for the whole world to be blessed. One final thing uh, that gives us a bit of a hint about this book of Jonah. I think if you were to try and rate the prophets, if you gave them a score out of 10, uh, look through all the prophets that we have, the prophets who have a book or the prophets who we read about in the narrative and gave them a score out of 10, where would Jonah sit on that? I mean, he's got to be right at the bottom, hasn't he? He's got to be the worst prophet that there was. Would you give him anything more than a one? Maybe you'd just give him a zero, like nothing out of ten, because this guy does nothing to be respected. He's the one who runs away from God. He's the one who argues with God. As we see when we get to chapter four, he's the one who is angry with God that he would be willing to forgive people. But did you know that when you turn to the pages of the New Testament, Jesus only ever compares himself to one prophet? Guess who? It's Jonah. Isn't that bizarre? I mean, he could have picked some some of the wonderful prophets. He could have picked Ezekiel or Isaiah and said, you know, this is my man. This is I'm a lot like him. But he doesn't. Seems amazing that Jesus would compare himself to Jonah. He doesn't compare himself to Jonah in his disobedience or his arguing with God or his anger with God. But Jesus is like Jonah because. He brings blessing for the world. Jonah was to take the message to the people of Nineveh. Well, Jesus is going to bring a message of life and salvation for the whole world. He's going to show us how it is that we can be saved forever. He's the one who brings us into that relationship with God. See, in the end, Jonah, for all of his faults, for all of his shortcomings, he does point us to Jesus. Jonah serves to point us to all that Jesus would do. Jonah reminds us of what God is at work doing in this world. And we'll see more of that in the coming weeks.